Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we casually discuss the Animorphs one book at a time. I'm Casey. And I'm Alex. And we're here to talk you through the plot of each book. But more accurately, take you on tangent trips, factoid forays, and say, well, actually, as much as possible. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month, and we'll take you along on our mission. And we promise to have you back under the two-hour time limit. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army. Hello. We're back on our bullshit. Aw, yeah. Again. (laughs) Again. My favorite phrase that I forgot about and then re-remembered. Oh, good. I was actually just listening to that episode two days ago. I was listening to it yesterday. Oh. Yeah. Aren't we special listening to our own podcast? Well, it's... I... 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 It... What's going on? I was trying to justify it. Like, I'm not doing it for, like... Oh, I want to hear myself talk because I'm so good at talking. No, like, I, I seriously, I annoy the shit out of myself when I, no. when I talk. But no, it's for quality editing purposes and so that I break annoying habits going forward by shaming Aww. myself. No one feels that way about you. <laughs> Except for me. I feel that way about me. Your own worst critic. Well, maybe except i'm still kind of like oh but it's myself maybe i should try not to be so mean whereas other people are like oh you're a different person and not that anyone's ever said anything other than like wonderful encouraging things but that could change (laughs) (laughs) people are fickle like that people are fickle they like you one day and the next day they're like why do you do this annoying thing? I'm not going to say it because then everyone will notice. But in my own head, no. I do annoying things. And I'm trying to, I'm working on that. If anyone notices them, I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm working on improving myself as a person. I'm working. I'm trying to make myself a better person by listening to our own podcast and realizing how terrible of a person I am. <laughs> no! Oh my gosh. Stop it now. <laughs> okay. I'm trying. Right now. What a self-deprecating opening. Oh, that yeah, that's horrible. Oh. No, it's fine. I hope so. I just speaking of listening to podcasts, I was listening to um one of my favorite podcasts this week, which is really isn't a plug because honestly they don't need it, but I was listening to my favorite murder this week and uh one of the things they mentioned in the episode was this show about um i swear to god this is going back into animorphs but um they're talking about this movie where this guy gets like indoctrinated into a cult of like jesus and stuff and he has to stay up for hours on end and and like just goes crazy and his friend who's a stand-up comedian has to break him out of the camp and like at first i was like oh yes it's kind of a funny movie but as i was watching i'm like man, this really feels like the sharing. Like, they wouldn't <laughs> let him leave. Like, there was this whole scene where he tries to, like, get up in the middle of one of these, like, almost hypnotizing, like, lectures that the main camp guy was giving him. So he, like, bolts. And, like, there's four people that chase after him, and they're all, like, surrounding him in a field, not letting him leave. And, like, then they, like, shave his head and, like, put him through all this. It's really, like, the whole time, wow. I'm like, 
oh, this is like the Yerks. <laughs> like, and he oh, followed God. a girl in there. That was the other part of it. He joined no! because of a girl. Yeah, I was like, no. Tom! Oh, that hits too close to home. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, so that that was a thing that I listened to this week that I thought of was Animorphs related. <laughs> it's somewhat <laughs> topical. Hooray for Jesus. Hooray for cults. Yeah. And they they were, like, super nuts, like, screaming in big circles and, like, chanting and and all sort of, like, wacky stuff. And, like, they'd go out and raise money and they'd lie to, like, get, like, money for things. And and the guy that they're indoctrinating in was like, but that's a lie. And they're like, but it's the devil's money, don't you see? We're the only (laughs) ones that can have the money because we're of, like, not the devil and... It was weird. We are of not the devil. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> they put it... There's no Satan here. There are no flying saucers here. There are no flying saucers here. We are of not the aliens. Therefore, we are the only ones that can have the money. Good yeah. God. Yeah, it was Were they doing, like... Weird. Um, were they doing what? Were they doing, like, you know the, the TV evangelist that would, like, like, proclaim and then he would, like, like push people over? Like, really dramatically? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, Somebody... I might. I might know what yeah. you're talking about. Like, would it be after so... he, like, yelled over their head and they, like, had something thrown from their body and then he'd, like, throw them to the ground? Maybe. Maybe. They would be, like, <laughs> writhing on the ground. And, and I'm just thinking of someone did a video compilation of all of these instances to the song let the bodies hit the floor that's kind of funny <laughs> that's incredible okay send that to me for real i need okay. to see it oh, oh man that sounds like the x-files episode i watched this week where uh there is a preacher that knew he was like saying he was of the real jesus i've watched a lot of like preachy stuff this past week but yeah. um he was like of jesus and he could tell because he was the only one that could control the poisonous snakes and, like, the, the premise of the episode was he was sending the snakes to murder people, and it was, like, this weird thing. And it turns out he was a snake person, but it wasn't the guy who we thought it was. So, anyways, the preacher that, like, could control the snakes was having this thing where, like, he was screaming in a barn, and all of the people were surrounding him and, like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, Jesus. And, like, he grabs one of them and, like, blesses them, and then they, like, fall to the ground convulsing yeah. because the devil's being thrown from them. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically what I was referring to. You said it much more, much better than I did. But yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. Kinda because that. I was talking about X-Files. <laughs> good. It was a good yeah. episode. It was. There's some that, I mean, we're in the seventh season. So I know it gets a little dicey that season. Like from the reviews I've read. I mean, I'm just going through them all episode by episode for the first time now. But um, I know a lot of people have said, like, seventh season is where it gets all wacky. And I think at the end of it is when Mulder leaves and then comes back later. But it's pretty good. Hmm. <laughs> Let me convince well, you to watch X-Files on an Animorphs podcast. <laughs> yeah, I have an X-Files shirt. and But I got it because it's the Voltron lions flying in the sky. And it says, I want to believe on the bottom. And I mostly just got it because of Voltron. <laughs> oh, that's the... Uh... <laughs> That's the one you were wearing in the in our morphing it, image. Yeah, in our morphing image. That's funny because I was wearing a my favorite murder shirt in that one, and my favorite. There you go. I know, right? My favorite compilation picture is the middle one that says, "I want to believe murdered." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it all came full circle. It did. It all came together at the end there, <laughs> much like the circle of life. 
which is sort of the point of this Cassie book that we read for this episode. That is quite true. How's that for a lead in? (laughs) Nice. Very nice. I tried. You did good. I did my best. Yes. All the kids doing their best. Yeah, they are all doing their best. They they were good kids this book. I I think um I'm remembering a lot of the reasons why I liked Cassie for a long time. And I think you were saying too uh in Rachel's book that you were really starting to like Cassie more. So did that hold up for you in this book? Yeah. Like I still I think of all the animorphs I probably identify with Cassie the most. Um just cuz I've always been like the animal kid. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm a little more on the passive, pacifistic side. Don't really like confrontation or fights or hurting animals and shit. So. Yeah. And and I have a best friend who identifies with Rachel, so. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no. coming true. Yeah, this, this was, uh, I like her a lot in these books. And I mean, obviously, I really, I like the, the aspects of her working at like the rehabilitation and clinic and things like that, because I, that was a job that I had for a long time. And mm-hmm. so I can definitely identify with that. But like, as far as the pacifist stuff goes, probably less so. Yeah. <laughs> Crush yeah. everything. I'm, I'm, I really like crushing everything. In fact, my friend was complaining to me about her job this week and I told her to burn it to the ground and she's like (laughs) you've really been on like a kick of like burning things to the ground lately and I'm like well honestly that's always my go-to answer I just try not to say it a lot because it's not very helpful (laughs) so yeah but I did my best it was great (laughs) sometimes you just gotta burn it to the ground well let's get into the book all righty all right So we open with Cassie talking about how they're fighting the Yerks. The first thing she gives us is like a recap on the Yerks and what they do. They crawl into your brain. They take over and they're invading the Earth. Um, And right out of the gate, she says very blatantly that they're waiting for the Andalites to come save us. And we hope that that happens really, really soon. And uh, (laughs) I think that's... I know they've acknowledged, of course, that the Andalites are coming to save them, but I think this is the first time we're starting to hear this, like, hint of, like, please, any day now. It's, like, let's let's do it. Like, <laughs> that I mean, is that because, yeah, is that because they made contact with the Andalites in the last book, do you think? I I think so. I, I think that definitely had an impact on it. And I think also they're starting to... I think, like, you can make the argument throughout this book, there's, like, moments where they're starting to feel that strain of, like, we are we are overwhelmed and we really need help. Like, mm-hmm. more so than we ever knew before. So, I think we're... It, it's both of those things. I think it's a combination. They have, like, 40 more books to go through. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> These poor oh, kids. God. And this mm. is our last single-digit book, so, like... We're making progress here. But yeah, they have 40-some-odd. Oh, God. We actually have probably closer to 50 more books, although they're not in the the oh. um, Chronicles all the time. But yeah. Yeah, they're in the special books. Mm-hmm. The dinosaur books. The dinosaur book. My favorite. <laughs> I'm really holding out for the dinosaur book. I'm really excited. I can't wait. I'm so excited about the dinosaur book. But we're talking about Cassie now. 
Back to work. (laughs) Okay. All right. So uh, then we open with the, um, you know, mission that goes horribly awry, like we normally do. Yeah, it's very um, formulaic at this point. Yeah, yeah. Let's open the book with kind of a lighthearted, fun and fancy animal morphing incident that goes horribly wrong. But I think with this one, um, it's still formulaic, but uh, usually there's like the character's emotional arc and then the actual mission that happens. And I think this particular book did a really good job of um, interspersing those. So it didn't feel so much like, this story happens then this story happens and this like the opening mission yeah that's a thing that happens and then they like they move on to the actual plot of the book but cassie's internal struggle and then the big mission that they go on was really like well it was intertwined really well this book Mm -hmm. so i appreciated that because i know that um in, like in Tobias's book, when like we got past Tobias's emotional turmoil, and we're like, "Oh, there's something else that happens." Like, how do we have thirty more pages to go? I don't understand. <laughs> so, right. yeah, I appreciated that. But their opening mission is, uh, of course, just the Kakamimi scheme. And in this particular book, Cassie's trying to run a rat named Courtney through a maze. Yay! I. I don't know what is a worse name for a pet, Fluffer McKitty or Courtney. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least it wasn't, like, Whiskers McMouse. Whiskers McMouse. Yeah, but okay. Like, Fluffer McKitty is, like, the most frilliest sort of pet name you can think of. And Courtney is, like, one of the most human names I can think of. I like (laughs) names that are kind of, like, in between. Like, I don't know. I I can't get over. Homer's a good dog name, though. She at least, like, yeah. she got that one really, that was spot on. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not saying she's bad at naming pets, I'm just saying this is, like, the other end of the bad pet name spectrum. <laughs> I just kept thinking about our friend Courtney the entire time and laughing. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah, I should preface this. Courtney, if you're listening, I do like your name a lot. Just not maybe for a rat. Like, that's not what I would name a rat. I would name a rat, like, Atherton or something. Well, we had um, Nigel and uh, Henry, right? And then they Nigel and Henry both ended up being girl mices, and so we named them Henrietta and Nigelita. Nigelita. Yeah. <laughs> so we also picked very human names for our pet rats. But hmm. I, Courtney, I'm not. If you are listening, which I know occasionally happens because of David. I'm not saying that we should have used your name for a rat. I'm just saying we picked human names for our rats that were no one's name who I knew. I don't think I know a Henry or a Nigel. Well, I do know a Nigel, but only very, very, like, briefly. I don't know him well. I also might be full of shit because my cat is named Lena, which is also a human name. So maybe I'm just full of shit. And I do have, well, I have Antoine and Marv. And Marv is, like, literally someone's name in Scott's family who he named the bird after then again i also have dr princess kesha phd so (laughs) and wilcox is a human name too although i didn't pick that one Hmm. all right so anyways anyways (laughs) anyways after this audience write in with your pets names and what you think people should name their pets (laughs) (laughs) all of them give us every single pet name for each pet that every single person should name their pet it's gonna be a really long list good god Oh no, what have we done? <laughs> anyway, rats. Rats are cute. Rats are. Wait a minute. 
Do you think, just back to the um, naming thing for a second, do you think Kate okay. Applegate started the whole Bodie McBoatface thing? Bodie McBoatface. I mean, it's similar to Fluffer McKitty, just with a boat. I don't know. She oh. could be behind it all. Oh my god. See? It could be the reality. She could still oh be at work. Oh my god. Trendsetter. Trendsetter. She's at least a trendsetter, if not the originator of Bodie McBoatface. Face. <laughs> 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 this is I'm just gonna add this as a as a pure fact now because I want it to be true so badly. Oh god. Okay, anyways. Rats are anyways. cute. Back to that. Well, rats are cute. <laughs> I feel like Rachel doesn't think so though. No, but she's wrong. Rats are very cute. And very smart. And very smart. And as Cassie points out, that they're pretty good jumpers when they want to be. We Ours, um, Henrietta, Henry, used to launch up from the bottom of her cage. And we, we custom built their cages. So it was about probably a foot and a half deep. She used to jump straight up to the top. And there was like a kind of a metal mesh on there. And she would flip over after she jumped up and land feet first and grab onto the mesh and then crawl around upside down on the mesh. Holy shit. I know. Out right oh i have i have a rat story i just realized oh tell me uh matt and i were walking the other night just like taking a little nightly stroll and i think we were talking about rats and surprisingly we looked to our left and there was a rat in the grass and it was hopping like through the grass (laughs) which was really weird because I was pretty sure rats just kind of scurry most of the time, but it was like kangaroo hopping through the grass. And I'm like, what are you doing, though? (laughs) It was just enjoying itself. I guess. And it didn't seem to mind us, and it got kind of close to us. And Matt was like, let's cross the street, because I'm not wearing closed-toed shoes. Did he read the book beforehand? No, this was before I read the book, too. So I didn't know that... I just brought up the rat story, because... I like rats, and it seems topical. It does. And I'll let, let me actually fill in what happens in the book here so that question about Matt wearing close to a shoe makes sense. So okay. what happens <laughs> in this book is that uh, Rachel and Cassie are in this classroom, and Cassie's trying to run her rat through the maze named Courtney um, because she's trying to write some sort of science paper. She has to do this makeup assignment because she's not doing well in science. And we find out she's facing a D, which is like the end of the world. So it is. if Cassie gets a D, then her parents are going to be guilt tripping her, asking her where they went wrong for the rest of the week. And for a few weeks, they're going to be coaching her with her homework every single night. So we can't have that. So I honestly don't understand the difference between a D and an F. Because a D is not a passing grade. Like, a D means you failed. So why is there an depends. F? Why is there a grade below a D? Well, it, it depends. A D doesn't necessarily mean you failed. It I think it just means you performed subpar. But then again, that's that was my school's rating. And I know that schools, like, change the percentages of failure passes and the grades that go with them. So, okay, maybe a D is like you have a chance at redemption, and an F is like you're fucked. Yeah, exactly. Or like a D meant that you have to go to like remedial remedial classes instead of being in the regular program. Sure. I'm amazed I pulled the word remedial out of thin air after all these years. It's a good word. <laughs> it's, I think, the right word. <laughs> Where'd you learn that word? In school? 
Yeah, when I was put in remedial math. (laughs) 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 Uh, Fucking math. Anyways, um, so they, the big plan here is Courtney is not performing well, and so they're like, we got to morph into rats and figure out why she's not making it through this maze so that we can, you know, write this paper. So in the school, moments after it's let out, probably 15, 20 minutes after it's let out, they decide to both morph rats to check out Mm-mm. this situation. No. I say questioningly. And uh, so they do. They make a little, like, step thing with books up to the table. They both morph into rats. They talk about how um, kind of gross it is because they don't have fluffy tails, and that's really the only reason why people find them gross. And uh, then uh, one part that was really cool about this sequence, though, is that they immediately got control of a prey animal. So they're obviously getting better at morphing. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty cool. Uh, then they climb up onto the table. Rachel stays out as the scout mouse, scout rat, and Cassie drops down into the maze and realizes that the reason that Courtney isn't making it through there is because she can't smell the nuts because there's a fan blowing over the top of it that's blowing away the smell. So, yay, problem solved. And right as Cassie's like, yeah, I'm glad I figured that out, they hear some noise and ruckus as two jock-type children bust into the room and they're up to no good. And uh, the kids yell something like, gross rats, let's exterminate them. And then they start like just hitting the table where the rats are. They flip the maze over. They're throwing stuff at the rats. They like grab a broom and they sweep it across the table. That's when Cassie says they're good at jumping because she and Rachel jump over the broom handle as they sweep it across the table. Honestly, I don't I don't know why Rachel also morphed a rat. I have not one clue as to why she it also It probably would have been rat. smart if she had stayed a human and then could have said you know, get if someone out of came here. in she could be like get out of here. Yeah. I'm I'm doing a science experiment, you fucks. And then if they tried to be confrontational, she could have fought them. Yeah, that's what I thought the whole time too. I anyway. agree with you. Okay. Yeah, but she doesn't. Instead, she's also a rat. Um, and then they jump off the edge of the table, Courtney goes one direction, Rachel and Cassie go the other, and that's when they realize that the up-to-no-good boys have Courtney cornered, and they're poking at her with a broomstick, and, uh, they obviously can't let her get killed, so Rachel decides to attack them, and Cassie's like, (laughs) alright! So they run over to these kids, they scurry up their pants legs, and, um, then the boys, like, freak out, start screaming, take off running, and uh, Cassie and Rachel kind of, like, let themselves scurry out of the pant legs, fall out of their pant legs, and uh, demorph. And that's the uh, opening mission. Hooray! Yay! Yeah, so that happened. It's probably not That could have been handled better. It, it might. There might have been a way to handle that a little bit better. Anyways, mm. that's the rat mission. And I was worried that rats would run up Matt's pants legs, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he was more worried the rat was going to bite him. I don't think he would have bitten him for no reason. Unless he had rabbies. <laughs> then it would have bitten him for no reason, and he would have had to get a shot in the butt. <laughs> Is that really where you get rabies shots? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you for- no! <laughs> oh, no. Yep, that's what I've always been told, and I've heard it's pretty painful. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah I've heard that. Anyways, moving right cool. along. <laughs> So, um, the next chapter is a meeting is called and Cassie's at the clinic doing her normal chores. And that's when we get our character introductions to everybody. So 
We get Rachel is, of course, glamorous and totally Cassie's opposite as she's, like, wearing overalls and gloves and covered in poop and stuff. And Rachel's, like, beautiful and tall and wonderful and all that sort of normal descriptors. Um, And then Jake and Marco are the next to show up. And we get a lot of um, pretty funny descriptions of Jake. And not funny, like weird or anything but just that she's like he's just so handsome and cute and wonderful and we like like each other like serious she, like <laughs> she mentioned that he was good looking inside and out what does that mean i'm imagining that he has a good heart or something like that but, but it's, uh... I, don't I don't know maybe don't know. his Those organs are, are beautiful yeah that's what i was picturing <laughs> Like, oh man, your organs. She's the seen them fall organs. out of his body before and they are pure. <laughs> oh no, it's probably true. <laughs> it is. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh. And then Marco's there. And Marco's the comedian of the group with a dangerous edge. And this was interesting because I don't think we've ever gotten this in Marco's description before. Oh yeah, that he, he's all fun and games and then he gets that like glint in his eye. Yeah, where he gets, like, that that dangerousness. Someone's growing as a character. <laughs> Yay, he's all grown yeah. up. And uh, when Marco and Jake show up, they're arguing over whether Batman or Spider-Man would win in a fight. Who do you think would win? Mm, um, probably, I, th- I mean, I think Batman would win. Really? I think so, because he's got, like all sorts of crazy gadgetry and things and and spider-man is just always seemed like a maniac you know he just doesn't have his shit yeah. together i don't know who Maybe. do you think would win i don't know because i always thought batman had i thought like maybe the fact that he doesn't have natural powers could be kind of his weakness you know i mean but he fought superman i feel like spider-man would be a much easier target i don't know i think i mean as a character i like spider-man more but I think at the end of the day, both of their movies have been remade so often that we should stop and not focus on them and focus on other superheroes. That's what I think. And I was just going to say to that point that then it, this all kind of also depends on who, like, if we're talking about Adam West versus, like, oh. <laughs> Toby Maguire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It depends on. Where's Rachel? And is it like Spider-Man in his emo phase, snapping outside of a bar? <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. So anyway. We'll talk about the Spider-Man 3. <laughs> oh, oh, I can't not talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know who would win. It depends on the time and place, and I'm sure that they would both switch off winning, as was convenient. And at the time, Tobey Maguire was not Spider-Man yet, and Christian Bale was not Batman yet. Oh, yeah, it was good the late point. 90s. It was, um, uh, the guy in the Tim Burton Batman, Michael Keaton. That's Scott's favorite Batman. Is it? It is. I like that Christopher Walken's in. Who's Christopher Walken? He is the guy that, uh, I, I'm now wondering if I'm thinking of the wrong one, if I'm maybe thinking of, like, Batman and Robin or something, but he was, like, an evil <laughs> corporation guy that uh, dumped Catwoman into the river, who was his, Catwoman was his assistant. Oh, uh, wait, Sigourney Weaver, Catwoman? Sorry, not Sigourney Weaver. I get her and Michelle Pfeiffer mixed up all the time. <laughs> Fuck. 
<laughs> yes. We are so off topic. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Okay, anyways. <laughs> getting, getting back to the book. Fuck. Um, then Tobias swoops in and he looks like a hawk. We get a good description of him too, but he looks like a red-tailed hawk. Um, he used to be a dopey kid though. So, uh, Tobias swoops in and we find out the reason that the meeting was called is that there's a construction site in the middle of the forest and Tobias went to take a closer look at it and ran into a force field. So they suspect it might be Yerks, you know. (laughs) got a force field guys uh they think that they're gonna try to locate axe or just well again all of the andalite bandalites but in we know it would just be axe by like completely taking down the entire forest so no bueno tobias comes in they're going on the mission because there's a force field uh mm-hmm. blah 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 force gonna be taken down da, 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 da. oh so they decide they're gonna scout this place out and they break up into two groups Rachel and Jake, they're going to go with Tobias, who's going to lead them to the place as birds. And then Cassie and Marco are going to run in as wolves. And Cassie mentions that Marco annoys her sometimes, which surprised me, I think, a little bit, coming from Cassie. Why? Because they haven't had a lot of, like, scenes together? Yeah, and, like, she never seemed to be annoyed by Marco in the past books. Like... Yeah. They, they never seem to have that character interaction that would annoy her before. So it just kind of took... Like, if Rachel said it, it would be like, ha-ha, yeah. Or Tobias, even. Even Jake, I wouldn't be that surprised. It would be like, oh, yeah, because you're best friends. But Cassie, like, I don't know. It just took me by surprise. Yeah. And then Cassie asks why she can't go with Rachel. And Jake says something like, it's because Rachel eggs you on. And Cassie's like, ah, shit, he knows about the rat plan. Kind of true. Yeah, it is very true. They do egg each other on. I mean, they did the elephant thing together, too, in the circus where Rachel threw the guy on. So they do kind of egg each other on. Jake's not wrong. Jake knows what's up. Yeah, Jake does know what's up. He's getting better and better as a leader. So they split up, and Cassie and Marco go to the edge of the forest. And after a quick discussion about how Cassie is so good at morphing, they morph into wolves. And Cassie does a cool trick where she morphs her head entirely into a wolf's head, with her body being her own body. And Marco's like, that's what I mean. But then his jaw is morphing and he's like, (laughs) they morph into wolves and they head to the camp um, because they're going to go check it out on the ground and they're going to have their fellow bird morph teammates check it out from the air. And uh, so they make it to the campsite after running through the woods where Cassie mentions, of course, like how cool it is to be a wolf and how good the sense of smell is and running through the forest is awesome and um and then cassie as they approach it tobias says like oh we see you guys and cassie's bummed and tobias cracks a joke about how they're so big they are super easy to spot but the flea on her ear was a little harder to spot and she gets all offended that he says she has fleas i feel like tobias is like very jokey in this book he yeah i agree with that he is very jokey i don't know if that's just cassie's perspective or if he's just again becoming more comfortable with himself we'll find out soonish, right well like four or five more books you would you would know more than me yeah but hey, we're we're visiting tobias again next because we already did x so like in Yay. four more books we'll we'll see tobias again baby yeah i'm excited i love tobias my son my son (laughs) 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 on the way when you said that too the only thing i could hear in my head was hamilton like my son (laughs) 
You're welcome. <laughs> Dear Tobias, what do you say to you? Oh, no. <laughs> he has your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> you are a red-tailed hawk. And when you came into this world, you flied. <laughs> you flied. <laughs> That's the only thing that worked. <laughs> oh, God, I'm dying. Did it break your heart? Oh. okay anyways (laughs) before this devolves into a weird ass animorphs musical based on hamilton hell yeah that that. crossover would work oh my god jake would be hamilton oh oh we'll be burr we'll no 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 okay this is a rabbit hole let's not go down it right now right we'll talk about this in a later book cool okay anyways (laughs) so they're (laughs) sneaking around and uh checking stuff out and then um marco and cassie start to hear some noises around them and they realize something's sneaking around and suddenly there's blinding lights and explosions and it's a giant heavy net that came out of a tree and of course i wrote oh no a tiny net oh my god i wrote the same fucking thing (laughs) yes and that is amazing this is why it Nothing works. Nothing is deadlier than a tiny net. Nothing, no one can escape a tiny net. <laughs> Maybe so happy. A good movie. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so anyways, um, so Cassie gets out, but Marco is under the net still. So Cassie runs back to help him, and Marco's trying to like belly crawl out of the net, and Cassie tries to lift it up, but it's like a weighted, super heavy net. So Cassie's jaws are like aching, just trying to help him out. And then suddenly, Axe comes galloping out of the forest and slices open the net millimeters in front of Marco's nose, to which Marco replies, that was a little close. And then they all take take off at breakneck speed, and they're shooting guns at them, they're shooting draken beams at them, and of course there's like lights and nets everywhere, so they know for sure that this is a Yerk operation at this point, and they all escape super fast also cassie and marco are like screaming and i feel like axe is just also screaming but like for fun like oh ah oh my god so many good axe moments in this book oh my god he's yeah that was the first one where it's like it, it literally like that's the dialogue it's like cassie's like ah marco goes ah and axe agrees ah <laughs> <laughs> oh it's awesome god. i love these books <laughs> so, so the kids are all standing around uh talking about what the fuck just happened after they got out of there and uh that's when we get the description of axe finally because of course we just saw him for the first time in the woods like three pages ago and um this is a lot of cassie's chapters are internal thoughts and feelings from her so like I, this was why i think my notes today were short i know Casey and I were talking about this a little bit before the podcast, how our notes were pretty brief. And I think this is why. I think it's just because Cassie has a lot of internal stuff going on. (laughs) Cassie's going on about whatever she wants. And then she brings up again to the group. Do they have permission to log here? And Marco's like, why does that matter? Cassie's like, because if they don't, they'll be in big trouble. And the news will want to cover this. And Marco's like, oh... And then Jake points out how this is how they can tell Cassie's a nice person because she didn't say duh at the end of her statement to Marco. (laughs) Um, Well, and up up until this point, um, like Cassie had been bringing this up and kind of like making other sort of like, oh no, they're logging. They're going to kill all the animals. 
and they, Marco especially had been kind of making fun of her, being like, oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah, let's worry about the cute little bunnies and shit. Yeah. But Cassie's uh, inclination towards environmental science actually, like, really helped in this situation. They absolutely do. Uh, so they're discussing breaking in again, and Cassie, of course, suggests bugs, because... No. Yeah. No. No, no is correct. <laughs> that is the correct response. That's the correct response. Let us not. Right. So cut to Cassie getting home. And her dad very seriously says, where were you? And for a second, she thinks she's in trouble. Um, and she's like, "I like out? Like, why? why? What's going on? And we find out that her dad needs her because they have to get the most dangerous earth animal imaginable. It turns out it's a skunk. A skunk! And then her mom stops by with all this, like, V8 tomato right. juice. Which was, like, perfect comedic timing. I was like, yeah! Yeah, it was awesome. And then they go through the reason why um, Cassie's dad thinks skunks are the most dangerous animals because they would spray him. One time, they sprayed him in the face and he had to sleep outside in a tent for the week because they wouldn't let him sleep in the house because he smelled so bad. He tried to sleep in the barn, but all the animals got agitated. <laughs> and then they had to burn the tent after he was done sleeping outside because it smelled so bad. Oh my God. I feel like he has like, PTSD over the skunk. He does. He's like, I will Aww. not handle that. And he's like, Cassie, you have such a way with them. And besides, I have a board meeting tomorrow. So like, it's totally cool if we send you to school smelling like a skunk, but I can't go to this meeting smelling like a Good skunk. God. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Oh, right. Oh, that's so funny. I actually really love her parents. I every scene they're in, I'm just like, oh my God, these people are so cool. Oh my I love them too. They're wonderful people. Do you remember when we were at school the first week that uh, we were in the same dorm as Josh and he went out running and he ran into a skunk and he returned and ran top speed all the way back to the dorms because he didn't want to be the kid that smelled like skunk the first week of school? I vaguely remember that. I loved that story. That's the second time we've talked about Josh on this podcast. Yeah. Well, he was my Animorphs buddy at, at school for a while. Oh, well. We can cut it out. We don't need to give Josh any SEO time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Cassie's suggesting bugs and blah, blah, blah. She goes home. Right. Um, so her dad needs her to go out and get a skunk. They got a call that it was on the side of the highway and they have to go grab it. Um, so they get into the truck to drive out there and there's a mention about Marco's driving again because Marco's so bad at driving. Right, because he crashed the other truck. So they got a new truck. Exactly. And he said the only thing he liked about the new truck was the CD player so he could play jazz music. So... Yeah. CDs. <laughs> the height of technology. Well, actually, our um, our car that we got last year has a CD player in it still, which is kind of surprising. That is kind it's of surprising. 2017. That is... I don't know. CDs aren't dead yet, Alex. Isn't that crazy? In my mind, they're the height of technology, so I'm not well, surprised yeah, by that's this true. at all. <laughs> <laughs> my car also has a CD player, but... It's, I only have one CD, so, you know. Which one? It's, um, uh, an Irish Celtic, uh, music CD that was written by, um, our ornithology teacher in college, Maria. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay, I remember that. Yeah, so I have her CD, and I play it in my car all the time. (laughs) Now I'll have to link to it when we post this. (laughs) Hell yeah. Shout out to Maria. We love you. We do. I mean, I doubt she listens to an Animorph podcast, but if you do, hi, Maria. 
<laughs> I mean, maybe she should. We talk about birds all the time. We do talk about birds a lot. Anyways, um, so they get to the side of the road, and um, they're looking for about 20 minutes when they see the skunk, and they see that it has this weirdly rounded burn on its back, like somebody took an ice cream scoop and just scooped out of a chunk. So sad. I know. And uh, Cassie immediately realizes it's a Drake and Fire mark, and um, her dad doesn't end up knowing what it is, and Cassie manages to nab it without getting sprayed, which is a feat, I tell you. That is a feat. Uh, and then we cut to the kids meeting up at the mall by accident, in quotation marks. Uh-huh. Yeah. Rachel and Cassie are shopping. Well, Rachel's shopping. Cassie's not. Uh, she's just talking about she's how... She's there. She's there. She's lending emotional support, I guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then she says that they have to go to the food court to meet up with Jake, Marco, and Axe slash Philip. Because, once again, Axe is playing Philip, which is Jake's cousin. Why they wouldn't just call him Axe? I don't know. That's like... I guess that's not really a normal name, is it? It could be short for Axel. Yeah, there you go. Which I'm sure was a really common name in the 90s. I almost named a pigeon Axel once. My dog was named Axel. Oh, I miss him. He's a good pup. He is a good dog. One time, I came downstairs in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and he saw me in the hallway, and we stared at each other, and he just started peeing on the floor. (laughs) That's my favorite Axel story. (laughs) I love Axel. He's the best dog. Anyway. Tangents for days. So um, they make it to the food court where they accidentally run into each other. Marco says something like, hey, Rachel, how's it going? And then Jake offers them nachos. But then when he goes to give them the plate, there are none left on there. And then they ask Axe, how are the nachos? And he says, great. They tasted like salt and grease. And one thing I tried once named engine oil. (laughs) They're like... Wait, Axe, did you really eat engine oil? <laughs> and Axe. Jake tells him to add it to the list of things that he should not eat. <laughs> and he's like, there are many rules for eating, which is one of my favorite lines of all time. Because there are many rules for eating. There are. Oh, man. That's funny. He's such a treasure. <laughs> Axe is a treasure. So they get down to business and... Um, at- Jake is saying we're we're gonna morph termite, and everybody no. gets. I know this is the termite book. I got your Snapchat. This is it. So I sent Alex a Snapchat last night of my notes, and all I wrote was in all caps, "Fuck, is this the termite book?" I did not respond because I didn't want to ruin <laughs> the surprise. <laughs> oh God! I saw it though. Yeah, this is the termite book, and. uh Jake breaks it to him that they're going to morph termites. And he tries to say, like, I looked him up online. It's not going to be like ants. They're different. And uh, Uh everyone's still freaked out. So he pulls the termite out of his pocket. We find out that they were cutting up some wood and they tossed some of it out of the campsite. And I think it was Tobias managed to snag the termite somehow and uh, bring it back to them. So that worked out. They all acquired it, and it's also a termite from the same colony because Tobias snagged it from there, so they know that it's going to be okay. They hope. And then they also, they decide to go on the mission that very night. They're not going to hesitate at all. They acquired the termite. They're doing it now. I'm just going to keep saying no, because no. That's okay. No. I'll just keep going while you say no. It'll be like a nice, (laughs) like... protest. It'll be like a nice, like, beat in the background. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just going to protest quietly over here. Perfect. (laughs) That's what I like to hear. So Cassie is uh, doing her homework and getting ready to go on this mission. 
And after not completing much of her homework, she decides to go to the clinic to help her dad out with that skunk. And her dad mentions that the skunk was really agitated, so he had to uh, give it some sedatives. And he also mentions that the skunk has kits, which are baby skunks, if you don't know that. Baby! And Cassie asks if they're old enough to live on their own yet, and her dad says he isn't sure. And she knows immediately that that's a lie. And that leads to, like, more Cassie inner dialogue about, like, she's been talking about how she hates lying to her parents. And she's like, maybe my parents lie to me, too. And, like, yeah, most definitely your parents lie to you, Cassie. You are a child. (laughs) Obviously. But they let her clean out a raccoon cage by herself with nobody watching her. Right. Yeah. Which I thought was weird. I mean, I wouldn't find it that weird. Although if I was, like, handling a wild raccoon, I'd probably ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least move it out of the cage. Or, like, you could you could get, like, a thing, of, depending on how big the cage was, you could get, like, a thing of cardboard or something and, like, have one person, uh-huh. like, kind of stick it in there while you, like, clean part of the cage and then just kind of move it around. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I don't know how they clean raccoon cages. It sounds like they scrub them out by hand, which... While the raccoon's still in there. Yeah, I would have probably moved. I say that, but... There has been times where, you know, you're by yourself cleaning something. You just leave the animal in there and just kind of shuffle stuff around them. They're fine, usually. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, it, she's she realizes the skunk has babies, and um, she's really concerned about them. So this kind of leads to a secondary part of the mission that they're about to go on for her. So they all meet up um, after lying to their parents about spending the night at each other's houses. So Cassie says she's going to Rachel. Rachel's going to Cassie. Jake's going to Marco. Marco going to Jake. Blah, blah, blah. Tobias doesn't have to ask anybody for anything. Baby. He's a, he's a full-grown hawk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an adult hawk. You can't tell me what to do. Exactly. I'm over a hawk adolescent age. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not a fledgling anymore. I'm not a fledgling <laughs> Yeah, that's true. He's not. He's a full-grown hockey boy. Hockey boy. Anyways, um, the kids meet up. <laughs> and they're morphing into owls to fly to the base and get on this termite mission. Which, this is, it. Ha- this book is really kind of rapid fire. Like, everything's quick. We're doing it tonight. We're doing it now. We're doing it in a day. Like, so we, like, bang, bang through the whole plot. But uh, they're going out to do the termite mission right now. So they morph to owls, they fly out there, and as they're kind of discussing and morphing and going through all of these motions, Cassie's realizing that everybody's scared, including Rachel, which just serves to, like, make her even more disconcerted about mm-hmm. what they're doing. Um, so as they're flying out there, Cassie's listening out for skunk kits, because she's like, it. the mom, we found her near this York base. It, it's probably pretty close, so she's just, like, using her, her owl... Um, hearing to to try and figure out where they are and she does as they're approaching the base hear them and she tries to memorize where they are and then realizes like oh god this is like futile I'll never recognize this so I'll come back during the day kind of a thing Uh, and then they get to where they're going and they all demorph and uh, Axe says hey I could cause a distraction that would allow you guys to morph closer to the perimeter fence and figure out how to get in there and Jake says, Axe, you, you can't go. We need you to, like, bust into the computers. So let's just draw straws and see, you know, whoever gets a short straw gets to be the distraction. Oh, so my God. So he breaks some... Yeah. Sorry, going back to this. I wonder, you probably know the answer to this, if they ever acquire Axe's DNA and then morph into Andalites. Because that would... Cause, uh, I don't know if that would be helpful, but um, they could do that. That's a thing that they could do. That would be one of those things. Would that be like a moral thing? 
That, I mean, yeah, that would be something that, that if it happened or didn't, I'm neither confirming or denying, <laughs> um, <laughs> it would be one of those moral things. Like, you know, they'd have to get permission and everything. And um, just keep in mind, again, not confirming or denying, but just keep in mind, like, the whole Andalite feeling towards other alien races and how yeah. Andalites are so superior. Not that Axe is the worst case of this, but, like, just something to keep in mind. Like, it's it's not only the um, moral dilemma, it's also the the whole permissions and, and his own ideas about it and that sort of thing. Sure. They go to draw straws, and uh, they... They do, and Jake ends up being the one to draw the short straw, and they're all kind of stunned because they're like, we never uh, imagined that Jake wouldn't be with us. Like, he's the leader. He has to be there. Um, but he's gone. He's not going to be there. <laughs> so Jake, um, he goes to be the distraction. He decides he's going to morph wolf because he'll be on the lookout for wolves, and that will allow time for the other ones to morph into termites and try to figure out how to get into this perimeter force field. So they hear him start causing a ruckus far off in the forest, and that's the signal to them to start morphing termite. And they do. And they're all kind of, like, weirdly huddled around each other, including Axe. So, like, they're all, like, talking, but they're, like, bumping heads and shoulders. And, like, apparently Rachel's, like, crouched over Cassie, like, some sort of, like, vulture person. (laughs) So that's that was fun. Um, And they start going to termite. And they just start shrinking and falling, and it's gross. And Cassie's watching Rachel's face morph and split into mandibles, and then she goes blind. And she's like, I was very happy to be blind at that moment. Yeah. And then they realize, uh, once they hit Termite, that they're not totally sure what direction they're supposed to be going. But they can vaguely hear this call in one direction. They're like, well, let's go there. It's like as good a try as any. Um, and they do end up running into the force field, which they see as this, like, vibrating, shimmering thing in the air. I, not that they see it, but right. they sense it. And uh, the ground is, like, vibrating where it's touching. And they realize, like, pine needles look like these giant logs. And they push against the force field. They can't get through. And then Rachel says something like, how do we make these stupid bodies dig? And they try to dig. And that fails. And then Cassie realizes, like, hey, it looks like under this pine needle that we can get under there. And Axe goes, oh, yeah, it could be casting a shadow in the force field. So they go under one of the pine needles and sneak in. And they're all riding pretty high that they figured this out. But once they're in there, (laughs) things start to go a little south. Dun, dun, dun. Nope. Yeah. Yep. So uh, the termite brain starts getting a little weird the body's not really controllable and they feel something calling them and cassie says she thought it was her mom for a minute and that they kind of start to lose themselves but very slowly it wasn't like the ant mind where they were suddenly gone and they had to snap out of it they're just kind of like they're going they don't really know what's happening they're they're listening to this other voice and it's very confusing and then cassie snaps out of it and realizes oh my god i'm me what am i doing why am i following this i'm suddenly like eating the globules that the worker termites are putting out and like i'm not acting like myself and then she realizes she also has zero control over her own body she can't get out of there she can't turn it around she can't have it go anywhere else and uh, next thing she knows, she's in the queen's chambers. That's fucked up. The queen has her, tells her through their signals and whatever else they have, like whatever way termites communicate, 
The queen tells her that she has to protect the workers. So her body turns around and starts following these workers out that are carrying eggs. And her, she can't refuse. She can't control the termite body at all. The termite body does what the queen wants. And that's when she realizes that the queen's head is like half an inch away from her. So she does everything in her willpower, summoning every like tiny bit of strength she has to turn this body towards the queen. And she says it's struggling towards her is like going through molasses. She like goes as close as she possibly can, bumps into the queen and then tells the termite brain, this is an ant. This is an invading ant and chops off the queen's head. God. Chaos. The termites are like totally like lost. They're just scrambling around. Finally, the other animorphs are able to get free. So they crawl out of the wood and start demorphing. And Cassie just starts screaming demorph because she's so horrified at what she's done. She's like everything that she did like was against what her body was telling her to do, what her head was telling her to do and her moral standards. And she still had to do it to save herself. So she's, like, just in this, like, inner turmoil. She's screaming demorph. Someone, we don't even know who. We just know someone screams at her. You have to get out of there before you demorph. You're in wood. And Cassie just starts screaming demorph to try and get out of this. So she starts doing it. And as her body swells, she hits, like, the edges of the termite tunnels. And she says it's just this, like, massive pain on every, like, every part of her body is in horrific pain because she's being squeezed and all of a sudden, the, the pressure is loose on the top. She kind of bursts out of there. And it was because Axe actually had to cut her out of the wood as she was demorphing. Jeez. And she just kept going and going, her body swelling, and uh, finally turns into herself. And Rachel runs over to give her a hug. And so she accepts it for a minute. And then she pushes Rachel away and screams, get away from me. And Rachel and Marco have to jump on her and pin her down and shut her up as fast as they can because... They're in a side room, but right next door, and they can hear them through the walls, are controllers. So this isn't the situation to kind of lose your mind in, but Cassie does. And she's, like, kicking and trying to scream and trying to struggle, and then slowly starts to, like, calm down, realize where they are. Marco says, Axe, just get whatever shit you need to do on the computer done now. And so Axe is working away. They're trying to get Cassie to calm down. She's freaking the fuck out out like just totally fucking in inner turmoil and struggling it's really bad like i think this is well i know this is the first time that there's just been this huge outburst of like some other than tobias some huge outburst of like a ptsd type thing yeah it's bad so um x is going through the computer and we're kind of hearing what's going on in like a passive way like nobody's talking to cassie but we hear the conversation between axe and marco that's like letting us know that um the the logging company that the yurks have is called dapson which is apparently a yurk curse word or a rude yurk word <laughs> i think i think it means fuck so it's the fucking lumber company i always wondered if it meant shit so it was like shit lumber company <laughs> shit lumber company <laughs> it's open to interpret can we get t-shirts that say the Dapson Lumber Company. Um, can, yes. Can we please? Yeah, we can make those. That can be yeah. like, yeah, okay, let's do it. Okay, uh, let's let's work on a design for it and I'll get it printed. Excellent! I'm so excited. I'm, I'm pretty excited too, oh, shit. Man. That'd be amazing. <laughs> That's such like an obscure reference too. Like, I don't think that would ever be recognized. <laughs> like, yeah, unless we went to like 
I don't know, a convention that featured something Animorphs related. And then we might That's get like true. one or two people. In any case, I'm excited. They'd Let's be like, this. that is a very obscure reference. You guys went deep. <laughs> you We'd be like, deep. yeah, we have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's about Animorphs. Oh my god. Anyway. <laughs> so um, they find out that it's called Dapson. And uh, also they find out who is going to come out later that we can inspect. They realize that um, two, there's they need three votes to make this a legit logging company. They have two. One, yes, they assume it's a controller. One, no. So this third person's going to decide it for them. And he's coming out later in the week to inspect. And then he'll make his decision. Um at that point, Axe basically makes a backdoor channel so that he can hack into this system from Marco's computer and then shuts down the perimeter fences. And uh, that's when they say, let's morph wolves and go. And we kind of turn back to our focus on Cassie. And Rachel says, Cassie, can you go? Can you morph again? And Cassie's like, I never want to morph again, but I, I guess I have to. And Rachel's going like, I, I'll be right here beside you. Like, she's very, like, mothering in this moment. She's mm-hmm. like, I'll be right here. I'll be with you the whole time. It's going to be okay. Let's just do this and get out of here. So they morph Wolf. They run for it. And they just, by pure chance alone, make it out of there without getting stopped. So it was uh, a close call, but they do run all the way home. And then once they get back, they decide that they're going to stay at Cassie's house because hers is the easiest to break into. So Rachel and Cassie go up to Cassie's bedroom and Rachel just passes straight out. And Cassie has this entire existential crisis over a couple pages about how nature is just, as the saying goes, nature is red in tooth and claw. And um, there's so many animals that she thought she loved them all but they like lions hunt innocent gazelles and you know so and so eats meat and this is that and that kills that and like what is the predator prey relationship and just this very difficult to answer conversation mm-hmm. um and like are we any better than than the yurks and like you know right nature's cruel and... exactly all that sort of stuff and i like I think I've said this before, not to you, but in general, that Cassie, I think that this is one, becomes one of the main traits of her character. Like, she asks questions that she doesn't give an answer for, and that frustrates me sometimes, because, like, you know, I always like to hear, like, this is the character's answer, but I think Cassie sometimes has these conversations with herself, because we're supposed to think about it as the reader and as the audience and come to our own conclusions and maybe think of our own takes on this position and how do you, you know, decide this and what's right and what's wrong when it's a lion eating gazelle. They're just doing what they do in nature and who are we to judge one over the other or hate this or that and how, like, you know, I will feed a rat to an animal and like raise live mice to like feed it to an animal and yet i had pet rats like how do you discern what's right and wrong Mm -hmm. so that's basically what cassie's thinking about um and when she finally does fall asleep she has a dream that she's a mother and she's looking for all of her lost and killed children cassie it's gonna be okay (laughs) it's heavy this this is some heavy shit yeah i mean 
So um, the following day, Cassie wakes up and Rachel says, I can't believe you slept so well because I had a nightmare. Because Rachel's like, you know, she's like me. She's like, well, that last night kind of sucked. Anyways, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bouncing. I'm bouncing. Yeah. So Rachel heads home. Uh, Cassie suspects that she probably gave Rachel the willies because she did need so much mothering. She thinks Rachel's maybe a little maternaled out. I don't know if that's a proper word, but whatever. Yeah, she mentions that Rachel's not really the the huggy, nurturing type. So. Right, but she did it for Cassie. Mm-hmm. Again, these these characters, they tell you. So uh, when Cassie does get up and and get ready, she realizes that her mom's uh, at the zoo. I think she says, and her dad is out somewhere. She doesn't know where. And so she goes to head out and do something stupid. So she grabs a cricket, heads out into the woods, and she's going to go and, and uh, save some skunk kits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tobias almost immediately spots her. And he comes up and, and says, hey, how's it going? I, I heard things didn't go too well last night. And Cassie's like, no, not really. And um, she's... He said, I was talking to Axe, and Axe said that you had a rough time, but the way he says it, he said insane, and she goes, who else were you talking to? He's like, Marco. And she's like, oh, did he say I was crazy? And he goes, no, actually, he said insane, crazy, and totally Looney Tunes, but he meant well. <laughs> I love that part. Mm-hmm. So um, then Cassie says, well, I'm off to do something like, don't, don't judge me. I know it's really stupid, but I'm going to go find those skunk kits and take care of them because, like, they're, they're moms in the clinic. And Tobias immediately knows where the skunk kits are, and Cassie knows why and is just filled with rage. And it's because Tobias ate one of the babies. Aww. Yeah. So Cassie's like, well, I'm going to go save what's left of them and Tobias immediately says, I'll help, and leads her to the skunk kits. Hooray! Yeah. Um, Cassie morphs to Osprey and is following Tobias. And apparently, um, we don't, it just cuts from, like, her starting to morph to her demorphing at the skunk den. But um, apparently Cassie was a bitch to Tobias the whole way there. <laughs> so, fun. That must have been a fun flight together. And uh, once she gets there, she starts demorphing, and Tobias takes off, and she knows Tobias is going to go tell Jake immediately. Like, there's no doubt in her mind that Jake's about to find out what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she morphs into the skunk, and she heads into the burrow, and she feeds the babies the cricket that she brought. And then she falls asleep. Ugh. I was like, why? Why would you do that? I don't know. So uh, she's woken up by a really loud thump and Jake screaming. And he's going, your two-hour time limit is almost up. And so that, like, wakes her up immediately, breaks her out of this sleep. And she comes bursting out of there and starts demorphing immediately. And Jake is enraged. And I don't think I'm out of line in saying rightfully fucking so. Like, he starts screaming at her. And this this is the second point where I... Uh, I think it's showing that they're starting to realize how hopeless their situation really is. Because Jake kind of lays it all out to her right now. And he says, why would you do this 
idiotic thing and risk yourself like this. Like it was one thing to lose to bias like this. We are in a battle. We are fighting the Yerks, but we are a small army. We are completely outnumbered. We are completely like, don't like, we have no clue what we're doing. And you're risking yourself like this to get stuck in this morph. What were you thinking? How could you do such a stupid fucking thing? Like we can't lose anybody at this point. It's totally true. Completely true. I got really mad. <laughs> Just gonna this, say that. This isn't this isn't the the reason, is it? No, 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 no. Okay. No, it's so much worse. Oh, it's so much worse. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I agree with Jake though, in this instance, that um it was a risky thing to do and it was really stupid. Yeah. Like, I, I'm for saving skunks as much as the next person. I adore skunks. But this was such an idiotic risk to take. Like, even if she was just feeding the kits and taking care of them, the fact that she decided to take a nap? Like, what yeah. the fuck? I don't know if it was because, like, she felt really safe with the kits or if it was because like they got virtually no sleep the night before and so she was just really tired but yeah that was that was not great yeah um and then uh when jake says that he can't afford to lose another fighter especially like this she says what if i don't want to fight haven't i done enough and jake says the exact same thing he said to marco mm -hmm. in his first book which was You've done more than enough. You've done a thousand times more than enough. Like, word for word the same. Yeah. But in this instance, instead of saying you can leave, he says we have to keep fighting. Mm -hmm. So this led me to a question for you, and that was, do you think that this is Jake knowing as a leader when to push people and when to give in to people? Or do you think that this is Jake realizing how bad things are and that he doesn't want to lose anyone? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know. And I don't know how much of that is he doesn't want Cassie in particular to give up because he loves her. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know either, but yeah. I mean, a lot of shit has happened since Marco's book. Um, yeah. The, um, I don't know. The situation is different too, because, um. Like, Marco was reluctant from the beginning, so they might have suspected that, like, he was gonna pull that, and he was gonna say, you know, and I'm, I'm done, I give up. Mm -hmm. um, so, they might have been expecting it. With Cassie, like, she is... She decided to risk herself to save skunks, which, like, she would do even if they weren't in a war, necessarily. Um... So, and I think it's kind of, like, that, that like, really risky behavior that some of the others take when they're having a really, like, bad time. Like, Rachel, you know, like, doing the stuff that she does. Like, flying to the gardens and, you know, morphing a grizzly bear without anyone being there. And, and like, yeah. Cassie had been uh, sneaking into the gardens to, like, swim with the dolphins. And, like, it might be Jake just knowing why she's doing it and being like you need to fucking stop i don't know yeah no that's that could be it 
I don't know how much of this was internal. <laughs> yeah. I like your point, though, about how because he loves her, it could have been more he didn't want to back off because he can't lose her because of what she is to him. Yeah. But, I mean, that might cause him to want to say, yeah, you, you can stop because then I'll know you're safe. But that could also mean... I need you here fighting with me because otherwise you might become a controller. You know, it's kind of like, I don't really know what the safest place for her would be in his mind. I feel like Jake wouldn't do that, though. Like, because that seems, I mean, that seems like it would be almost a little sexist. And that's not what Jake is about. Like, I feel like he's not trying to protect her more than any of the other Animorphs, or maybe like incrementally more than the other Animorphs, but he would never say you're out of this fight because I don't want anything to happen to you. But, like, um, he, he'd never in, sideline her. But in the, uh, I think it was the Megamorphs book, um, Cassie did point out that she felt like he did sideline her by sending her to the mall, you know, do recon instead of being out in the danger with everybody else. That's true. Wow. Well, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know either. <sighs> Anyways, that was just something I thought we could talk through. I still want to know why Jake was over there for Thanksgiving. Because he was supposed to go to Rachel's, but then (laughs) Rachel's mom fucked up the turkey. Rachel's mom fucked up the turkey, and so he had to go to Cassie's for Thanksgiving. Jesus Christ. (laughs) And the rest of his family went to the sharing. (laughs) Anyways, getting back into how this conversation goes. After this, Jake continues to scream, but... Then his tone shifts from, like, do you realize how stupid this is? I'm enraged to him screaming that he can't lose everything over some skunks. And Cassie says, this is important to me. I just need to protect them for the next few days until the mother's released. And Jake kind of loosens up at this point. And I think he knows that he's made his point with Cassie, but also she's not going to give in to him. Mm -hmm. So... He lightens up and says, like, you know, fine, we don't have enough to do yet. We'll take care of these goddamn skunks. And uh, that's when we find out that Marco and Tobias didn't actually wander that far away. And uh, Tobias agrees to help guard them. And then Jake says, I don't know what I would do if I lost you. And then Marco starts gagging loudly. (laughs) (laughs) So Cassie laughs and realizes that she must be feeling a little better if she's able to laugh. Well, and um, Jake agreeing to, like, help protect the skunks, to me, that kind of indicated that um, during all of this turmoil and all of these battles, like, we keep coming back to the fact that these kids still want to feel normal and they want to feel like all hope is not lost. So this might be Cassie's way of being like, I have to do something good. I have to save these skunks because I can. And I I need that right now. So maybe Jake is, like, conceding because of that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I totally think that um, that is Cassie's point. Like, because she's, he knows that she had this complete breakdown on the mission. And Mm -hmm. I think he knows that, like, it's just something that he needs to let her have. Like, Mm -hmm. 
he could have pulled the trigger as the leader, I think, and just said, absolutely not, this will not do. But, like, I, I think he knew that if he gave that to her, it would help her come to the place where she needs to be okay again. Yeah. So I agree with that totally. I think that's, again, Jake being a good leader and understanding mm-hmm. when to push and when not to push. And that was just why that was why I thought of that question because it's it's like I I couldn't tell if that a, Jake not giving her the out that he gave Marco in the same situation was him pushing again or if that was Jake kind of having his moment. And I think from any of the characters perspective, that's just Jake being a good leader, but having just read, you know, a Jake book not that long ago or just rather re-listened to the Jake book not that long ago, I think internally this might have been more of a selfish thing. Mm-hmm. So that was that was why I was was asking. Sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, the next scene here is the kids gathering around the den discussing the plan to raise the skunks. Bing. Yeah. They're going to work in shifts. And uh, I think this scene is really just a moment where the gang can reconnect and make each other laugh after this horrible thing. And, like, I, I felt like this was really coming together to support Cassie. And, like, the, it was another moment of, like, this is a really great team. Because although what's happening is they're meeting up to discuss, you know, the baby skunks, everybody kind of lends their support to her. Like, even Marco, he's he's kind of right behind Cassie. Like, he's second in line for guarding the skunks, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he He's telling all these jokes, and she's, of course, going Mother Earth, expecting everybody's going to, like, push back on her like they normally do. And instead, they all agree with her. And they're like, yeah, let's save the skunks. And Tobias, who could say, like, listen, I'm a predator. This is just life, Cassie. You need to get over it. He, I think, knows she needs it as well. And he's supportive. Like, it's, he's the one that's actually probably giving up the most because Tobias has to watch them all day and he can't hunt anymore. He, Cassie needs to bring him frozen food because he's spending all day just watching the burrow. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're all doing it. Even Axe agrees to morph Mama Skunk and take care of them. So sweet. Baby skunk time. Time to save some skunks. And um, my favorite part of this whole thing is Marco decides to name the skunks after the Ramones. I love that. It is so good. Oh my god, Marco. He's he's awesome. And I love when they're talking about him too. And he's like, the one with the super wide stripe is Marky or whoever <laughs> it was. It's awesome. Marco totally goes full mom with these skunks. Oh. I know. I love Thanks. it so much. But yeah, so they're they're taking turns watching them, and Cassie gets back for her turn, and Tobias reports to Cassie that it was a pretty exciting day because a badger came in to check out the burrow, but he chased him off, and then also the skunks are starting to run out, especially Marky. So Cassie's like, well, let's let's take him on a walk, I guess, and Tobias goes, is that a good idea? And Cassie's like, well, why not? So she morphs into skunk and goes into the burrow, and one of them runs out. I think it was Marky again. So she goes bounding out after him, and as soon as she's out, she realizes that they obediently line up behind her in a <sighs> row. Oh, she's I like, love skunks. They're, they're amazing and adorable. I love skunks, too. So she's like, well, let's go on a walk. And as she walks, they all follow behind her one at a time in a nice 
line. <laughs> so she's going through the woods, sniffing stuff, having a good time, when all of a sudden, a giant doofusy dog comes crashing through the underbrush, and she turns around, and she lifts up her tail in a warning, and any wolf apparently would know what that meant, but domesticated dogs do not. And so she sprays, and as she's spraying him in the face, she's realizing this is a familiar-looking dog. And then she hears Jake calling Homer because she sprayed Homer in the face. Oh, you stupid I thought that was dog. so funny. You stupid I love idiot. Stupid oh, idiot dog. Dumb dog. Love him. And this is my favorite line in the book, possibly the series, <laughs> because after she sprayed Homer... All of the Animorphs were kind of following Jake in. Jake sends Homer home, and they're all like, oh my god, this smells so bad. This is awful. But it's Axe who takes the show, and he says, I believe the smell is causing me to become deranged. And then says, I may have to run away in panic. (laughs) It's so good. I love Axe. I love Axe, too. It's so good. So they decide to leave that spot and go back towards the burrow. And once the excitement's all over, Cassie gets the kits back in the burrow and they calm down for a nap because it's been very exciting. Uh, they start talking about the, the logging guy. His name is Ferrand, who's the guy who's going to come vote on whether or not they're allowed to log there. They said they found out he was on his way early to check out the place and he's going to be there in about an hour. So again, the mission's happening ho right now. So um, they're talking about the plan when Tobias hears a loud rumbling and he goes, "Uh, even human ears should be able to hear that. And it's this mechanic, like crazy rumbling sound. And Jake goes, okay, they're probably just lining up where they're putting the trucks and the earth movers. But can you go up and like check that out? So Tobias does. And he comes back down and says, they're already clearing the forest. They're logging. And... That's when they realize, like, when Ferrand comes to vote on this place, they're just going to infest him to get his yes vote. They're not even going to, like, friggin' worry about it. They're not going to try to convince him. They're just going to turn him into a controller. And uh, then it's Axe that realizes that the baby skunks are directly in the, the path that the tree clears are taking. And that sends everybody into a frenzy. And I loved that it was Axe that noticed. Like, it made me believe he's just on board with this baby skunk plan as everybody else is. I love it. And then Cassie's like, oh, you guys probably don't think it's important. Everyone's like, no one messes with our skunk babies. And I was just like, yes. They're under official Animorphs protection. Oh my god. (laughs) It was so great. Yeah, this was one everybody's like, no, they don't fuck with our skunks. These are our babies. God. It's so good. I love it. Especially with um, Rachel, who was very, like, hell-bent on these babies. Like, because, like, in the beginning, I thought it was weird that she was, like, talking very, like, derogatorily towards the rat. Be like, oh, rats are stupid and, you know, whatever. But now she's all like, skunks! Which is great. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. I love that they're all, like, I, I just love that they're on this. Yes. It's such a good, like, team bonding mission. Anyways, the the things coming at them just whip them into a frenzy. And so uh, Jake decides that Cassie and Tobias are going to go look for Ferrand and that the rest of the team is going to go try and stop the, the tree clears from getting to the baby skunks. Because obviously you send the bigger portion of the team to save the skunks than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Cassie morphs to Osprey and takes off with Tobias 
And as they're flying up to the logging road where they know, like, it's there's only one way in and out. So they know where the car is going to be coming. They have this really, um, it's another one of those conversations where Cassie's having it with Tobias, but I think it's really supposed to make us think and us decide um, about what's right and what's wrong. And they they never even come close to a conclusion in this conversation. Tobias never gives a satisfactory answer as far as I'm concerned. But um, it's that predator-prey relationship again. What's right and what's wrong? What makes us better than the Yerks? And Tobias is like, well, we're, we're just different. Like, we're that we're just not like them. Like, how can you not get this? And like, then he mentions something like, yeah, like I, I hunt and I could have you feed me. And Cassie's like, well, if we could feed you, then why would you hunt? And Tobias is like, well, what difference would it make if you get it from a supplier or I catch it on my own? Like, how does this matter? Like, it's the same. It's still an animal and it's still a predator prey and it's still eating meat. Like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, like Tobias just, he starts getting really mad, but I think that's because she's, he feels like she's kind of attacking him for his choice to be part Hawk, as opposed to just what it is, which is her trying to figure it out internally and her own inner turmoil. They have this conversation. <laughs> um, And it's cut short because uh, they spot the Jeep with Ferrand in it and they realize he's probably the old dude in the back seat and they're going to watch his reaction upon them rolling up to the camp and that will decide whether or not he's a controller. And if he is a controller, their plan is just to try and mess with the camp. They don't really have anything good. Um, So the Jeep pulls up, Ferrand gets out of the back screaming, waving his arms. He's obviously in a rage. They realize he's not a controller and that's when Visor 3 walks out of the building at the logging camp. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Visor 3. And he walks up, and I'm not sure if this is how it's described, but in my head, what happens is he walks up to Ferrand and without breaking stride, slaps him full across the face. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he might have broken stride, but he totally slapped him across the face. Side note, Matt just sent me a YouTube video with... Featuring baby skunks. Baby skunks. Very topical. Anyway, Visor 3, bitch slaps Ferrand. Bitch slaps him. And for then some reason. the guards. For some reason. Yeah, there's actually really no reason why he slaps him full on across the face. <laughs> but he does. <laughs> and it seemed like a really, like, weird maneuver for Visor 3, who's, like, normally about, like, chopping people's heads off and stuff, to just give, like, a slap across the face. Also, I have a new headcanon for how Visor 3 looks in my mind. What What is it? Have you seen Ocean's Eleven? Uh, was that the very first one that came out, like in the yeah. 2000s? Yes. Okay, do you know the, the guy who played the casino owner that they stole from? I don't know if I can remember it off the top of my head. Okay, that actor, whatever his name is. The guy who played Benedict. That's what I picture Visor 3 looking like. Okay, now I'm looking this up. To take us off on another tangent, of course. Of course. Why not? Why wouldn't we go on another tangent? Oceans. That's our I'm thing. Gonna, I'm gonna look it up, too. His name's Benedict? Yeah, the character name is Benefit. Bene- Benefit? Benedict? Good God. <laughs> oh, there's an Ocean's Benefit. 8. Oh. Oh, I know this guy. Yeah, he plays villains oh. a lot. He does. Maybe him, but, like, bald, you know? 
Well, he has to be bald. He does have very evil eyebrows. No, it's it's not this guy. His name is Andy Garcia. No, it's not him. No, it's no. Maybe. I don't know. Not like the Italian mobster look? Uh, I feel like there's another... Shit. There's another actor that looks very similar to him. I feel like he's British. Oh, God. We can talk about this later. I'll, I'll edit back in who I think he looks like. I'll keep going while you look for Visor 3. <laughs> okay. Okay, keep going. Okay, cool. Um, so then the guards grab Fran from behind, and that's... Cassie and Tobias are like, oh, God, okay, they've got him. We need to go. And they see Jake as a tiger racing towards them, but they realize that Jake's not going to get there fast enough. So Cassie and Tobias move in for the attack, and Cassie goes down, rakes Visor 3 across the head, and Tobias hits one of the guards and blinds him. Um, so Ferrand kind of starts to get away, but he's it's mentioned a few times. He's an older gentleman. And so one of the guards kick him into the dirt. And this, like, Cassie just kind of loses it at this point. She's like, how dare they? <laughs> and uh, so they she goes again after the other guard. But it's at this point that hork comes streaming out of the building. And then shots start getting fired. And um, she notices Rachel, Marco, and Axe are fighting on the outskirts to stop the machine workers. So Rachel almost gets shot. Axe cuts off the guy's hand. And then Cassie does end up getting shot. And the last thing she notices is she hits the ground. Because she's still an Osprey morph. Her wing gets destroyed. She hits the ground. And the last thing she sees is an ant carrying the termite queen's head. And That's then she blacks up. out. That's so fucked up. up. Also, I found him. Yes. Okay, who is it? It's Mark Strong. Mark Strong. With a C or with a K? Uh, K. Okay, good, because I wrote it with a K. I guess he looks like Andy Garcia in the face. Oh, oh, why are he, why is his face so tiny on such a large head? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he has a very tiny face. A <laughs> tiny face. Okay, to retcon everything I've ever said about Mr. 3's human form, he looks like Mark Strong in my brain. With a little bit of Anderson Cooper thrown in. The end. Case closed. <laughs> With Peter Gallagher's eyebrows. Yes. Okay. Draw that. Perfect. We could Photoshop that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they exist. I'll just, like, overlay their faces onto each other. Yes. God. Oh, my God. Do it. That'll be amazing. Cool. Oh, man. All right. So picture in your head, Mark Strong. Uh-huh. Have it there very strongly. (laughs) So Cassie wakes up in the box. Mark Strong is standing outside this box. It's actually Visor 3. He just looks like Mark Strong. Exactly. (laughs) With Peter Gallagher's eyebrows. (laughs) So uh, Cassie wakes up. She's in a box with Ferrand. Because like we talked about in episode 6, what do you do with things that you need to destroy? You put it in a box. And then you send it to yourself. And then you smash that box with a hammer. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, so Ferrand is injured and bleeding. He has a cut on his head and her osprey is badly damaged. So she knows she needs to demorph. Um, Visor 3 is, of course, monologuing. He yells to put up the force field again. And somebody says, well, our people are outside of the force field. And he goes, would you like to question my orders one more time? And uh, the guy says, no, puts up the force field with, you know, uh, his own people on the outside. And Cassie's like, well... I just got to take matters into my own hand at this point. So she demorphs and starts to remorph into skunk, 
Ferrand wakes up and sees her, but then just closes his eyes. And she's like, I, I hope he'll just think this was a dream. Um, and then Cassie speaks to Visor 3. Yeah. She broke rule number one. Rule number rule one. Don't uno. talk about Fight Club. <laughs> don't, don't talk about Animorph Club. Yeah. There are no rules. <laughs> so, um... She just simply tries to summon as much uh, alien speech as she can. And she says, I'll kill the human. And Visor 3 does like a full about face. And <laughs> he's like, train all the guns on the box. So they do. And he opens it with his tail ready to strike. And there's little Cassie standing there as a skunk. <laughs> and Visor 3 is like, what the fuck? Because he mentioned, he's like, there could be any manner of, like, horrific morph in this box. And there's a skunk. And he's like, what the fuck? Like, what? What did you, why? What did you morph? What is this? Like, he's, he just doesn't know what to make of this. He's like, what, what even what? is this? What even is this animal? This fat, chubby little thing that's the size of a house cat. Like, what is this? I'm kind of surprised um, he didn't realize it wasn't a cat. Like, if I were... If I was an alien visiting from another planet, didn't know Earth animals, I might think a skunk looked like like a cat. I would agree with you if it weren't for the fact that I'm relatively sure Visitor 3 spends all day Googling cats. <laughs> <laughs> That's a He's hobby. just on YouTube watching cat videos. <laughs> all day. <laughs> oh my god. Not that they had YouTube back then, but... No, oh but he, he was... Oh my god. Did Wizard 3 start the craze of all the cat images on the internet? Oh my god, I think he did. It's That's because amazing. of him. <laughs> oh my god. He started the cat craze. What if, Jesus. like, you go into his office and it's, like, Umbridge's office with all the plates with, <laughs> like, the like kittens kitten painted kitten on them? <laughs> There's, like, a poster of a kitten on a branch with this hang in there. Yes! Thought I was just gonna say that! Oh my oh god. Oh my god. That's so good. Oh my god, Mr. 3 is a cat lady. He is a cat lady, for sure. <laughs> so that's the only reason why, like, the box opened and he's like, that's not a cat. That's not a cat. <laughs> that is no cat. Christ. That is so funny. <laughs> oh man. I have tears. Oh, good. <laughs> so... She's cat size, but obviously not a cat. Visitor three would have recognized that immediately. <laughs> <laughs> the one, the one Earth animal he has any knowledge of is a oh, cat. They should try that though. Like, like Visitor three opens the box. There's a cat inside, and the cat just gives him like the big like Puss in Boots goo goo eyes, and they go aww, and then she jumps out and kills them all. <laughs> And then Axe could make, like, a well-timed joke about Schrodinger's cat. Oh, God. Because he's the master of useless information. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's both an Andalite and not an Andalite until the box (laughs) is opened. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's... Oh, my God. And a whole book spinoff could be written about this alternate timeline created by this one decision to morph a cat inside of a box. Oh, my God. It could be like, see, that's what the choose your own adventure book should have been. Instead of like, choose the morph to get out of this situation and find out what happens on page 34. It should have been like, you are both in the box and out of the box. And then just (laughs) flashing back and forth to what happens in each timeline. Oh my god. (laughs) Oh my god. What have we done? Make this book. K.A. Applegate, I will send you a note about this podcast with that in it. (laughs) 
<laughs> but it, I think it has to be Axe that makes the joke, not Marco, because yeah. Axe is the master of useless information at this point. He is. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyways, let's let's get to it because this is like the best sequence of events in any book written ever in the world. It is. So, Visitor 3 has all the guns trained on the box. He's ready to strike. And right as he's about to say, you know, open fire, Cassie skunk sprays him rapid fire like seven times. Like, in the face, in the chest, she hits a hork And she's like, I didn't know if hork had a sense of smell. But it turns out they have a very sensitive sense of smell. <laughs> of course. And so, like, everybody just goes, like, running. Like, the hork are running for their lives to get out of there. Visor 3 is like, oh, oh, I've been hit. Like, this is disgusting. <laughs> and uh, Jake just goes, what is happening in there? And Cassie lets him know that she skunked him. <laughs> so she says she didn't know if tigers could smile, but she's pretty sure Jake smiled in that moment. So Jake passes along to everybody what Cassie did. And Axe starts to bargain with him. And Axe is like, we will give you the secret to remove the stench, but you have to give us Ferrand. And one controller tries to interrupt and says, my host has a memory of this. And Visor 3, like, puts his tail blade to the guy's neck, is about to behead him. And he's like, quiet! I'm talking to the Andalite Bandalites. <laughs> and I'm like, great job there, Visor 3. Oh my god. Yeah, once again... Just being... Once again. He's too busy being the campiest villain ever, and he could have avoided this whole situation. Exactly. Like, if the guy had said, oh, it's tomato juice, like, that's it, they have Cassie, they have Ferran, this would have gone on, but because he, like, can't listen to anyone, this is where we are. So, um, after a little bit of bargaining, um, he said something like, oh, the smell will dissipate, and Axe goes, like, well, you're going to be in a ship that uses recycled air. Will it really dissipate or will it cycle around the aircraft forever unless you refit the entire spacecraft? And Visor 3 realizes that Axe has a point that the smell will just forever be trapped in the spaceship, which I don't think would work at all. <laughs> like That means that every spaceship ever contains the smell of everything in it for all of eternity, basically. Yeah. So many farts. But exactly what I was thinking. But Kay Applegate will not make a fart joke. Not on this day. <laughs> yeah, Axe points out that unless they get the spacecraft refit, it'll just smell like that forever. And that apparently is a meaningful threat to Visor 3. So he reluctantly releases Ferran to them. They take him to the hospital because that's the deal is that they have to take Ferran to the hospital and they'll ensure he gets there safely. And then once he's safely there, they will give Visor 3 the secret to removing the stench. So they take Ferran to the hospital and then they tell Visor 3 what what it is. And we cut to the next day where they're talking. And um, this is where it gets so good. Ferrand was taken to the hospital, and he immediately calls in to vote against them to say he'll never listen to another word that Dapson Lumber says, and they, he might even press charges, and he told him the very spirit of the forest fought against them, and he swears he saw a skunk with girl's eyes ready to fight the, the lumber company. Um, and then Cassie has this very meaningful conversation with Jake where we still don't get a resolution, but we get kind of a thought or start of a resolution to build on 
Um, and so Cassie's going over the whole circle of life thing with Jake and like what's her place in it and it doesn't make sense. Predator prey, are they better than the Yerks? Are they not? Uh, and Jake kind of answers that since humans are in a unique position to save the rest of the world and to be able to, to save all of these animals, that he thinks that, you know, we, it is different, that they aren't like the Yerks and we have to save the human race to save the rest of the world because we're in a position to do so. <laughs> Um, and then Cassie tells him he's pretty smart and he's a little bit affronted. Yep. Also, my note here said, save the cheerleaders, save the world. Right. <laughs> I like that. And then the best part of the book. Oh my God. Tobias flies in all smug and he's reporting that Visitor 3 is a lovely shade of purple. And we find out that's because they told him that it was grape juice and not tomato juice that gets the smell. That fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like should we tell him now that it's been a couple days and then they're like nah and they all nah. start laughing in like the <laughs> 90s like haha wrong kind of way freeze frame oh. freeze frame <laughs> high five freeze frame <laughs> oh, and that was the last line of the book <laughs> I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you pesky kids pesky andalite bandalites yeah, yeah that's really what it oh, felt man. like too yeah God, so good. Yeah, apparently they built a pit for Visitor 3 to bathe in, and they just pulled in, like, truckloads of grape juice, and he's good just, God. like, sitting in his pit of grape juice. Oh, my God. Oh, so good. So, so good. Oh, man. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Okay. Could Visitor 3 morph into a different creature and then morph back to Andalite form to get rid of the smell? Uh... Since it is an oil clinging to his body, I'm going to guess he cannot because it would be like, I'm, I'm guessing it would be like kind of a skin type thing. Although that, that being said, I feel like there's other things that they're able to kind of morph out of that are similar to that. Mm-hmm. Probably just never occurred to him. Mm. Mm, dumbass. Dumbass. <laughs> Stupid dumbass. Uh... <laughs> All right, well, we have a couple things to talk about here at the end of the book, and I am most interested to hear what your theories are on why our notes were so short. Oh, honestly, it's because this book didn't really add anything new to the Animorphs universe. It was just a nice, tight, concise sort of story. It was very, like, character-driven, and it was dealing with things that already were established in the universe. Like... Like, Axe's book was very plot-heavy. It was very, like, this is, like, the entire history of the Andalites and blah, blah, blah. And, like, Rachel's yeah. book introduced the Elemist, which was, like, a new, you know, race, basically. And, like, yeah. this book was just, like, here are the kids. Here are the animals they morphed. Like, here's, like, a problem that they could deal with in their world, the end. Like, it was just, it was very, very tight. Yeah. I Would that be because... It almost felt like this was when Cassie was finally starting to kind of blossom as her own character, maybe? Um, it, it could be. to establish her than anything else? I was thinking maybe more it was because the Axe book was so world and plot heavy that maybe mm-hmm. this was just like Applegate being like, okay, we had this like big, like plot heavy book. Let's, yeah. let's take it down a notch and like just focus on a little character book. Which, that being said, I really want to see 
like, outlines of how she planned all these books. Because, like, they do this. They kind of do... There's kind of a little give and take between the books. Like... Mm-hmm. And with six characters, that's, like, a lot of shit to keep track of. So... Anyway, th- that's my theory. Yeah, I agree with that. And, I mean, some books are just kind of filler books. They're just, like... I mean, why is the rule that they always have to be so heavy, you know? Like, I don't Mm -hmm. think there's anything wrong with just having a contained adventure in the middle of the series. Like, Right. Yeah, filler. That's a good word for description. Again, I'll, I'll like, go off on this, like, 20-minute discussion and you'll be like, oh, it's this thing. And I'll be like, yes. Thank you. No. Christ. No, it's just because I've been talking about these for a long time. (laughs) But it's, it's... Definitely, I think, contained. And um, I know because the next Cassie book we visit is the book that I probably know best. It was my very first Animorphs book, book number 14. Mm-hmm. That's um, another very, like, kind of fillery type book, another contained story. But I thoroughly enjoy it in the universe. Like, I really, it it's still one of my favorite books and a lot of that is driven by the nostalgia i'm not gonna lie like a lot of it's personal but Uh it's still one of my favorites like i i love these just as much as the overarching books and it's i kind of liked it because a lot of the times like i it blows my mind how early some of the stuff that winds up happening was planned and you can tell from reading that so I don't mind it when, like, I just have to go and see Visor 3 bathing in a pool of grape juice. Like, that's hilarious. <laughs> uh. Uh. So how do you feel about Cassie as a character now? So far, so good, I guess. I don't know. She does some dumb shit. Ugh. She's not the only one that does dumb shit, but holy crap, she does some dumb shit. Um, <laughs> but apart from that, like, you know, like I said, I can relate to her on the whole animals thing and save the world. I like the earth. But I don't know. Ah. No, I, I love that message as well. And I also like, she's a, such this, her, this book was kind of like her character. Like it's such a push and pull. Like you want to feel like, oh man, she's not really the brave one at the end of the day, but she, she just, did this whole thing on her own, like, took on Visor 3 on her own, talked to him, and it worked out. Like, mm-hmm. holy crap, it worked out, you know? If it was another character doing this, like, I don't think it would have gone the same direction. Like, imagine Marco in that situation or, you know, Rachel in that situation. Yeah. Like, it, it wouldn't have worked out like it did. Jake, probably. Jake, I, I have the confidence that he could solve anything, but... Um, Cassie does this really impressive stuff sometimes, and I just, I don't know. Well, and even in, um, Megamorphs, when she had that moment of, she let the, I forgot what it's called, take Marco instead of her. The Valique? Yeah, the Valique. Mm -hmm. And then she was like, oh shit, I feel really bad about it. Let me do the heavy lifting on, on the final mission. Yeah. And she she did it. She kicked ass. Like, even though she kind of thinks that she's not the strong one, she can come through in a pinch. And, and you know, it goes pretty well usually so far. Yeah. I agree with that. And um, I also, if I may. Yes. I pulled a um, conversation with permission. I asked if this was acceptable. 
Um, there is a discussion in the Animorphs group on Facebook about, um, it started off with a, a somewhat abrasive question, which was, uh, does Cassie have any redeeming qualities or some, something along those lines? And, mm-hmm. um, some people immediately just said no. <laughs> and other people came out of the woodwork to have these very insightful, um, comments about her. And one of them I actually pulled because... I loved it so much, and I disagree with some of it, but it was so well thought out and written and um, kind of inclusive, and it pertained exactly to this book, conveniently. I mean, I've had it saved for like three weeks, but still, bear with me. Um, So I'm going to read to to you from word for word, copy paste, (laughs) a comment from Kevin Meyer. Might be Mayer, M-A-Y-E-R. Meyer, because Oscar Meyer, that's right. (laughs) All right, anyways, um, so here's what he said about Cassie, and I apologize because I will probably stutter several points in. So um, he says, Cassie is a complicated character, and not enough people give her the credit she is due. She is my favorite, and the one I personally identify with the most. So you can imagine how defensive I get when I see people spewing vitriol and hatred at her. I don't always agree with her, but I feel I understand her. To me, Cassie is what makes the series what it is. The big themes of war and consequences that most people say they love about the series most often come from Cassie's moral dilemmas and the hard questions she makes us ask ourselves. Without her, Animorphs becomes a one-dimensional hack and slash trope, with the added bonus that we never have to consider or suffer consequences for our actions because the enemies literally aren't human. Cassie asks us to consider a notion that to this day is revolutionary and even heretical to many. Your life is no more precious than a skunk kit's or a termite queen's. It forces us into that position that, instead of saying human life is worthless, saying non-human life carries as much value as any human we care to name. This makes killing a Yurk host mean something. This means even the death of the termite queen means something. Yes, she gets mad at Tobias for eating one of the skunks, even while at the same time being aware of the circle of life, she is an idealist and reality can be cruel. She has known that this reality intellectually, or she, sorry, she's known this reality intellectually for many years, but this may be the first time she truly sees the harsh coldness that reality entails, and it is disillusioning. I've been through that process myself. She isn't mad at Tobias. She's mad and frustrated at the harsh realities of living, having been brought up to believe that in this idealized, disnified version that most of us never leave. She believes in fairness, but what is fair to Tobias and what is fair to the skunks may not be the same thing. So how does someone who believes in right and wrong decide what is fair in that scenario? You can't. There is no good option. And that creates a feeling of helplessness, powerless, frustration, which she takes out on Tobias. If I recall correctly, she beats herself up over snapping at Tobias, too, because she realizes that she isn't actually mad at him, and snapping at him is wrong. The self-awareness is the redeeming quality to some of her more self-serving, hypocritical moves later on. I'm halfway through. Bear with me. (laughs) (laughs) The contrast between her reactions to killing Horkbizer and the Termite Queen is also very illuminating. When you see the past, it's... When you see past, it's just a termite. In fact, getting past that point for all species is key to understanding her character to begin with. If you don't value life, you can't begin to understand her choices or dilemmas. She hates herself for killing Horkbizer. The series makes that clear. She hates herself because she knows that the Horkbizer are innocent slaves to a power that can, can barely comprehend, let alone fight. But still, they are coming after her. The Yurks are coming after her, her family, her friends, her planet. It goes well beyond just saving humans for her, because the Yurks intend on essentially sterilizing the planet. Humans will be slaves, 
but everything else gets death. Innocent bystanders will be slaughtered by the billions. And so she fights. She fights for those that can't fight for themselves and hates herself every step of the way because all of this fighting is pointless. She perhaps better than anyone else understands that there are ways of coexisting and that compromises must be made for that coexistence because the slaughter is the alternative. And that alternative is worse than the coexisting coexistence compromises. So why does the termite queen's death nearly destroy her? She was accomplishing a mission, wasn't she? The termite was just as dangerous as an attacking hork at that moment, right? Well, yes and no. Yes, in that moment, the termite queen was just as dangerous as a ravenous taxon or an angry vizzer. Cassie did what had to be done in that moment, just as she does every time her wolf morph rips the throats out of some bladed alien. So here's my personal fuck off to anyone who says Cassie can't do it needs to be done. She's done what needs to be done more often and with more final permanence than anything Rachel ever did. I respectfully disagree. <laughs> I will tell you about that later. <laughs> but also, no, that termite was not attacking the same... Uh, the same as a hork warrior. The hork arguably, aren't being hork when they're attacking. They aren't just doing their tree-herding thing. The termite was just being a termite. It had no concept of yurks or animorphs or interstellar war. It had no idea uh, how it was jeopardizing the fate of its entire planet just by running her hive. She was doing what termites do and lost her life for it by Cassie's hand, or mandibles, to someone who can look at something as simple as a termite and see an entire life, a full three-dimensional existence full of hopes and dreams and desires and fears, different from a human, surely, but no less real and no less valuable, and to cut it down for no other reason than it had the bad luck of being in your way. That sort of action to a person like Cassie is the, an act of purest evil incarnate. Everyone else is like, so what? It's just a termite. But that's Cassie's point. It's never just anything. The fact that we can even go around classifying which lives are worth preserving and which ones we can kill with impunity because they are just an X is the root cause of all the evils we humans do to each other. It is often considered revolutionary when two opposing factions of humans can sit down and look at each other as humans and not objects. Cassie takes that one step further. Even a termite can be seen in a human light as a full individual, and so can a hork and so can a skunk kit, and even, perish the thought, so can a yerk. This also ties into how she feels about morphing being similar to what yerks do. Personally, I disagree with the conclusion, but I understand where she is coming from. I think we all agree that there is definitely a difference between borrowing an animal's shape for two hours at a time, while that individual is free to live its own life and physically crawling into their skull, fusing with their nervous and circulatory systems, and taking control of that individual. Kind of how there is a difference between you committing a crime because someone is holding a gun to your head and someone stealing your identity to go commit crimes in your name. But from the perspective of consequences and fallout, the difference can actually be hard to pin down. The hork aren't giving permission to the Yerks to use them, but the wolf never gave Cassie permission either. And that means something to Cassie, because she views the wolf and the termite as being on the same footing as a human. So that's why I like Cassie books. She approaches everything from a radically different perspective than others, sees a bigger picture, a picture bigger than the entire war, and she's looking at the implications and consequences of her actions far beyond what the rest of the group does. She questions her assumptions with every move. That was the comment that I wanted to throw out to you and see what you thought. Yeah. It's very insightful. It's a very thorough dissertation on Cassie in this book. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and... Like, whenever you ask me, like, what I, what I think of a character, I can only base what I think off of what I've read so far. Yeah. I'm not om- omnipotent, and I'm so curious as to, like, what is the thing that Cassie did that, that upset you so badly? Like, uh. <laughs> And, like, I, I almost feel like I can't give my full opinion of her because I know that she does something later 
So, uh, like, I can always uh, retcon my feelings, but, like, ugh. I, so I almost wish I had else. never said anything. I know. Oh. I almost wish I had never said anything about it because I, um, the characters change so much throughout the book that right. I keep asking you because I want to know, like, how do you feel about them now? And, like, how, like, what are your feelings on them at this point? And, like, and just to hear, like, as we listen back and, and go forward, how your feelings about them changed as they changed. Because that's such a, like, it's, again, such a character-driven series that it's so, it's intriguing to me, like, that that they grow so much as people within this universe and I just like hearing how people react to them as they go because my feelings have been not set in stone but like I've I kind of have that overarching view from like years of of reading this and um it's part nostalgia and part stupidity and part knowing what happens (laughs) like yeah I I don't know I and I don't like i shouldn't don't ever let my opinions of the characters it's hard impossible to do hard to say but don't ever let my opinions of the characters like affect your view of them now based on what you've read because Mm -hmm. they are so well built as characters that they're individual people and just like you know anybody in real life will have different opinions of them like and what we think of them and how much we like or dislike them and you can like somebody and still be like oh hey that was a really douchey thing you just did like yeah uh, absolutely there's no right answer that's the whole point of this book there's no right answer (laughs) exactly there's Uh, no right answer and nothing is set in stone and i do i at this point in the series i do really like cassie and i don't I don't think it's a bad thing that she asks us these questions that make us think about this sort of stuff. Like, it, I think it's fantastic. And I absolutely agree with, like, we need to do shit to save our planet and to save animals. I would much rather have a bunch of animals in many years than people. Like, it, it, she's, I, I agree with her on a lot of the same stuff. And in fact, that's why Josh, again, talking about Josh, that's why he was so... Um, surprised that Rachel was my favorite character not Cassie because he's like you really mm-hmm. like you're on the same page as Cassie on a lot of things and I am and I really like her at this point in the series and if you just gave me a character description to go on she might just be my favorite but also she evolves as a person and she makes choices I don't agree with and some of the choices just cross an invisible line that I made up in my own head that I don't <laughs> think it's acceptable anymore like it's it's all it's just in my head (laughs) so that's my defense of cassie at this point (laughs) uh i'm actually like starting to hypothesize like what she does to upset you because I, i i had asked you earlier uh this week like the thing that cassie does is that like how most of the animorphs community feels or is that kind of just like how you feel so i'm like trying to figure it out which I shouldn't. Yeah. I should just like let it be. But no, um. I think um, it is, and I think I told you too at the time. It it really is how most of the animorphs community feels. But there's people like Kevin who the whole reason I read his comment is because in that thread was like a bunch of people that really do like Cassie, and it is their favorite character. And his his comment was just like the the most well written. 
So I was like, oh, I got to latch on to this because this is these are all great points. And I agree with them for the most part. Other than the Rachel not doing anything permanent thing, that I take umbrage with because <laughs> I can point to plenty of examples of Rachel doing permanent and lasting things. But um, otherwise, it's a really great idea. And I, I love the thoughts that Cassie has where it's like, why is this more important than that? Like Gax's life. Do you know how many people I would murder if they ever tried to hurt my starling? Do you know how many starlings are in the world? They are highly invasive. But if you touch my fucking bird, you'll be dead. (laughs) You're going to go John Wick on their asses. (laughs) I don't even know what that means, but sure. (laughs) But yeah, I, I mean, I would take people down because, I mean, Gax is not only on equal footing with me as a whole human thing he is above most people in my books that's terrible to say but like i totally i i love that i love saying like it doesn't it's arbitrary that humans would be more important than any animal i totally agree with all these points so like i i don't know i don't know what i'm saying anymore i've lost my train of thought it's derailed completely but yeah it's okay but we should probably wrap this up soon yeah Um, looking at the timestamp. Yeah, we should. It's all interesting <laughs> stuff though. Stuff we'll it come is. back to. It is. Well, like, we have god, how many more books talking about Cassie? At least like what? 10, 15 until we all get to the end them. of the series. Yeah, so we have a lot of time to keep talking about how Cassie's character fleshes out and maybe right before the last Cassie book, we'll have it figured out and then we'll read it and you'll just it'll shatter all your illusions. Okay. oh i want to know i hate this no i i know i keep like now hinting at this and driving you absolutely up the wall but i really encourage you to like thoroughly enjoy cassie as a character at at this juncture in time and to like really just like appreciate her for what she is yeah i'm really trying to i'm really trying to just like block any future things out of my mind and just focus on the now so yeah and like i said i can always retcon later exactly and i think that if you do that once we get to the final arc of the series like the final like 10 book arc or whatever it is Uh you're really like that story is gonna evolve so well for you cool yeah all right let's get the fuck out (laughs) wait wait wait. first let's tell the people where to find us oh yeah where to find us First and foremost, if you want to email us, you can email us at anonymousanimorphs at gmail.com. Please email us. We, we love you. We yeah, like we email. got an email from Kevin this week. Yay! Kevin! Thank you. Kevin! He hosts another podcast called Tweeach, which is, uh, I'm going to fuck up this name now, but it's something like that, which is in our collective heads. It's about video games. So if you're a video game nerd, head over that way. It's pretty amusing and entertaining. Um, so he emailed us this week. We have a Facebook page you can also talk to us on, which is facebook.com slash Anonymous. We have an InstaSlam account, which is at, an, at Animorphs Anonymous. We have a Twitter, which is at Animorphs Anon. We have... Uh, website. What else do we have? Oh, yeah, we have a website, AnimorphsAnonymous.com. And we put some cool stuff up there, so check it out. We did put some cool stuff up there. Social media, that's social media. Um, if you want to find us on other podcast sites, we're going to be on iTunes. We're going to be on Google Play, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, and Podbean. I've heard of a few others that 
go off from there. We're on Google Play too. There's a few others that have picked us up from various channels, but I don't know what they all are until somebody on Facebook tells me. Huzzah. (laughs) Huzzah. Uh, I think we had a question this week um, about like where the best place is to to, uh, chat us up. And that would be the Facebook page, just so y'all know. Yes. Yeah. Facebook page. Um, that will go to both Casey and I. Uh, hopefully I will catch it first in case any of you are sending spoilers over Facebook. I will promptly remove those. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, if you want to hit us up, that's also where we post like our articles about like animals and shit that we're interested in that have very little to do with Animorphs other than the fact that it's about animals. I think that's all we got for this week. Perfect. Let's head out. All right. See y'all. See y'all on the flip side. Suckers.